Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It is April 7th, 2020. Beautiful Tuesday afternoon here in Southern California. And I have a special guest today. I teased you last night with a potential mystery guest. And before I introduce him, I just want to say a couple of words about him. He's a, uh, a man who has spent a lot of his life in athletics. He's had a big impact on myself and many other young men. He is a legend from Rio Hondo Prep, our alma mater, uh, a dear friend, a guy who coached me, a guy I've coached with, a guy who I've shared great friendship with and experiences with, my great friend, Mr. Todd Carson. Hi, Todd. How you doing? Mo, doing great. How are oh, you? Oh, well, you know, we could be better, but it is what it is. What's going on up north in uh, northern, northern, northern California where you are uh, living these days? Well, we are um, quarantined just like everybody else. So I'm teaching from home, um, which is going well. Um, learning a, a lot of new ways to connect with students, etc. cetera. Um, weather here is nice, somewhat cold. We got snow yesterday, but uh, it didn't stick. But it's nice and sunny today. And uh, just really enjoying my time home with the family. Excellent. Well, that's, uh, I guess, the silver lining out of all this. Very cool. Well, now, what city are you in up there? Um, I live in Weed which is right off the five I five going straight up to Oregon, Portland. And um, I teach in McLeod, which is about 25 miles inland um, near Mount Shasta. Wow. Yeah. I've been up there. I remember for your, for your wedding way back in 2012. Uh, And I know that's definitely a lot different area up there than we're used to down here in Southern California where, where you grew up. Yeah, and um, there's pros everywhere, but I really like, um, you know, there's there's not as many people where I live, um, and, you know, the novelty of uh, snow is kind of worn off, but uh, I do like the changing seasons, um, and then just, you know, kind of uh, a more uh, country-style living that I'm getting used to. Um, I do miss down south, but... Uh, I think adjusting really well to, to the, the rural life. <laughs> well, gl- glad to hear it. Uh, we'll, we'll get into uh, a little bit about uh, how we met, our background, working together, and just a little bit of everything. Um, but we're happy to hear everyone's safe up there. And just a little bit more about Todd. He, he went to Real Hondo Prep, graduated from there, st- uh, stuck around in the leadership academy that the program offers to care youth league uh, then he moved after coaching in the youth program for a while he eventually moved into coaching the real hondo prep junior high department and that is where well he may have seen me on my field as a, as a youth but that is where our paths crossed and i became a one of his many seventh grade boys uh, one of his first classes he ever had at real hondo prep so I want to ask you directly, Todd, what was it like, not to talk about myself, but what was it like coaching a middle school-aged Matt Hersema? <laughs> well, um, first off, 
uh, my first memory of you, I, I think you were 10. It was like a triple A football game. So you were playing for the Gators, the Gondora squad in the youth league. And I was coaching the Covina team, the Tigers. And, um, you know, 10 years old, um, we both had pretty good teams. We both had a lot of talent. And um, my first memory is you guys ran a triple option. And um, I'm like, I'm the only one on our side of the ball who saw the whole thing happen. And I'm like, that is incredible. And fortunately, you, you were so slow <laughs> that our athletes tracked you down. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think you, you, you played for Gary Shintaku, who, who was always innovative. And uh, so that, that was a really, as far as first impressions goes, I was really impressed that a 10-year-old can make a read, make the right decision, and execute that. Um, <laughs> but, but so that's had to, had to with no speed. You had to do everything right uh, to get some right. yards. So, oh, uh, wow, that's good stuff. <laughs> exactly. And then, uh, you know, we were up at, in the mountains at our, our snow camp, I think it was, and um, again, we always about competition at, at care. And so we were doing some indoor game and, uh, you got super intense. You were, you know, going all out trying to win. And one of our directors said, man, that, that's a guy we needed at Rio Hondo prep. And, uh, so even at a young age, uh, you stood out. And as far as, uh, you know, seventh grade and eighth grade, those years, um, I, I do remember you getting hit pretty hard at quarterback and always <laughs> bouncing up because uh, you were small and uh, the hits didn't seem to affect you at all. Um, you get, you know, did you play quarterback in, as a seventh grader or was it eighth you grade? You know, uh, we, we this eighth grade tackle team and so we were seventh graders playing on it and, you know, you come in and do some mop-up time, but uh I did get get some action later in the year when they moved a uh, quarterback to, to tailback. If we ever had to throw the ball, we'd pitch it to him first and then and then throw it. So I was still just kind of taking the snap, but uh, it was great getting that early experience. Yeah. yeah. So that that was you know another impression I had is just you know tough as nails. So you had uh, the intensity, you had the passion, you had the toughness, and. Um, you know, it's kind of, you know, my story as well is like, didn't have the athleticism to really be on the same field as some of these great athletes you play with. So you have to find other ways to get on the field. And your class in particular was very, very talented. I mean, you had some, uh, you know, you had the fastest white guy I've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> you had some, uh, you know, um, guys who played college ball eventually and um so you know you and I kind of click in that manner it's just like um he's going to do anything he can to help the team so you find a way to get out there uh, football obviously was your best and then basketball I remember coach Drain talking about you you were one of two people who could run the bottom part of the man-to-man defense or not man-to-man the one-three-one defense correctly um out of all his, you know, 30 plus years of coaching. So um, you had an instinct, you had an anticipation and uh, of course um, extreme desire to be a part of uh, a team and be successful and be out there on the court. 
Nice. Uh, I will, I will <laughs> say something you just said from uh, Mr. Drain. I heard now, now I'll start with this for, for, for guys who don't know, Todd is one of the nicest men on the planet. And, and I mean that sincerely in a good way. One of the best hearts uh, competition though, <laughs> brings out a little different animal in people, <laughs> even, even uh, in his uh, young adult days. But Mr. Drain saying those nice words about me, uh, Todd will probably deny this, but Mr. Drain talked about you being you and uh, another colleague of yours being uh, perhaps maybe two of the dirtiest players, uh, you know, he's ever coached. <laughs> and, and and I was like, okay, and, and I, like you, you know, one what's dirty, what's aggressive, you know, that's kind of was always my motto type of thing. So uh, yeah. <laughs> I always found found that funny. So uh, well, thank you for the kind words. That's that's very nice of you and and. Uh, not to talk about me this whole time, but then I was privileged after high school to then uh, establish a, a closer relationship with you and begin actually coaching in the junior high department that I was previously in five years before. And that was a cho- that was a, just a tremendous honor for me to work with you. I learned a lot and we coached together for about four years, I believe. Four, yeah, four years. So what was, I know for me, it was, it was an honor and it just, I learned a lot and our friendship really grew, but what was, what, what was the experience like with, uh, with coach Matt? Well, uh, it was just, it was just a blast, uh, in the sense that a normal, um, coach, head coach, assistant coach relationship, um, is there's there's a lot of uh you know um back and forth as to philosophy as to strategy as to this and that and uh you guys it was uh you know all four guys from your class it was i i had the opportunity to work with bill ritter devin drain renzo roel and then a couple other guys um dave hong etc but um as far as philosophy, getting on the same page, it was very, very easy, um, which made it so much fun because, um, you know, as you learn in coaching, it's not always easy to get on the same page with your, with your coaches, with your assistants or with your head coach or whatever. And, um, I always felt that, um, we were all on the same page and if we weren't too bad because I was, the boss and I was a lot older and uh, I didn't have to worry about, you know, you guys quitting or um, undermining me at all. And so um, that, and uh, we just had, uh, yeah, I mean, it was great with, with junior high boys, uh, the energy that we could put into our program and the activities we could do and um, et cetera. And I will say, you know, one thing that I <clears throat> prized, in you that I like in assistant coaches for sure is just some, some imagination, some innovation. Um, I remember we went to a coaching clinic in Irvine one time and we get back into the car to leave. I think it was after the last day and you are just, uh, you're beaming, you know, you're so fired up. And I'm like, he's like, I gotta show you this. I gotta show you this. Um, but you had heard something or seen something or connected something um, probably from a football talk you went to or whatever, and you go, we got to do signals with a wristband. 
And at the time, no one was doing that. And um, you kind of sold me on it. I was like, yeah, I like this. And um, so we implemented in baseball doing signals with the wristband and um, getting signals to the guys was never, ever a problem after that. I mean, I always had problems about how simple my signals were. (laughs) You're dealing with Um, junior high kids. (laughs) Yeah. But this was literally, you know, call a number, look at your wristband, steal. Or call a number, look at your wristband, hit and run. And we could put so many new things in there, button, run, run and bunt, all these different kind of plays that if you're relying on 7th and 8th graders to remember the signal, um, good luck. (laughs) And uh, so I remember catching some flack for that, people making fun of us. Yeah. uh, Obviously, that method caught on big time in college. And uh, it's just that innovation, that excitement, um, bringing new things that I really like in assistance. And, and you brought that. Oh, it was, sure. it was a blast, man. I, I, you know, you talk about we're similar, but there was also plenty of times where we disagreed on things. It was mutual respect. And uh, <laughs> one particular I, memory I have, I was just up in Vegas for baseball and I got to have dinner with Nick Preciato and his lovely wife. And we were talking and reminiscing about his, uh, his days. And I remember he was in eighth grade. He was, he was as big as he is now. He's, he's a huge kid and just a great athlete. And he mouthed off and practiced or something. And I was in charge of the defense. Todd ran the offense, kind of ran the whole, uh, everything else on the team. And Nick was mouthing off or something. And I, it was early in the season too. And I just said, all right, I'm tired of you. I'm tired of whatever it was. And I, I kicked him off the defense. I said, we don't need you the rest of the year. You go focus on offense. And you were behind me for a few weeks. You were like, okay, yeah, whatever. Hey. You're, you made the call. We get to the playoffs, the championship game. I think the other team scored early, and you kind of looked at me like, hey, are you sure you want to do this? And I said, absolutely. So, so uh, you, you supported me with that one, and Nick and I had a good laugh about that, and he was he was uh, a, a, a joy to talk to because I was, I was pretty hard on Nick at the time, and, and I guess I was kind of that uh, tough love guy uh, if I had that to say what my role was, what I felt. And so it was really good balance working with you for all those years uh, in, in all those, those regards. Yeah. And uh, you know, I'll, I'll never forget you coming or ta- telling Nick, or we were just talking about it. You said, I think, you know, he's got potential to be Academy president someday. And uh, you know, you tell that to anybody, any one of the teachers or coaches uh, down at school at that time, and they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have believed you, but um, we both saw in him the tremendous leadership potential and the tremendous heart and all the perhaps annoying or uh, off-putting antics of a, of a eighth grade kid uh, we're able to see past. And sure enough, he did become Academy president. But I remember you saying that and saying, you know what? I think he's right. I think, I think uh, we need to support, Nick, um, as his, in his role as a leader, and uh, yeah, he's turned out really, really well. Thanks to a lot of people, especially his parents. But um, you know, that was uh, that was like you said, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I definitely I transitioned into officiating after coaching for a while, and I, I fell in love with officiating and pursued it to high levels. But there's there's always that itch of of missing coaching. It was fun to work with 
kids on a daily basis and for you and I and, and others to formulate plans year round, really, to, you know, build, build kids up. It was a challenge. It was, uh, we felt a, a responsibility to mold young men. And I think that is something that is lagging in society these days. Uh, the idea of a, what, what is a good man? And I think it, it sounds simple enough, but I think young boys need a, a, a direction and, and to be told that, Hey, uh, being tough is not a bad thing. Uh, being guys are a little reckless. Okay. We can polish that up and kind of learn to harness, harness, uh, some choices, but I think in general, molding men is good for the country, and it's a good thing for uh, for for everyone, families, everyone out there. So, what can you tell me about your thoughts on just why you continue to coach and and work with young boys and men, and, and to try to train them into better men? What are your thoughts on that? Well. Um... You know, my kind of philosophy has has uh, evolved and changed um, as I've grown up. And um, I think, um, you know, one of the, the really positive things that I think Rio Hondo and the, the CARE program ingrained was the idea of sacrifice. Um, so, you know, you, and that's one of the things in sports that you can really – teach because um eventually guys see that if they are willing to give up some glory from themselves somebody else that the achievements and the um accomplishments are you know far outweigh the sacrifice and uh so that's one a big one for me is uh is sacrifice and then another one is just uh empathy keeping the main thing the main thing which is you know how you treat other people and in a competitive environment uh boy there's lots of opportunity for conflict and that's what i love about having a team is uh you cannot if like you're saying you want to um teach how to become um, there's a great opportunity to do that in sports because conflict is present every day. And you think of the non-athlete, uh, where does he get that practice? You know, if, if you're just going home after school every day and, um, you know, doing your work and playing video games and, you know, where does that growth, that training of going through that hard work of, um, working out differences and, um, submitting and sometimes leading and confronting where does all that training happen um for for boys and girls who are not in athletics so those are the two things that um i really see as valuable now that i'm in the position i'm in um and of course there's way 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 more that um that's a whole nother uh a whole topic on yeah oh absolutely and we're just bouncing around a few different bullet points here and just ideas, but I know it's something, it was a discussion you and I always had was just making, making better men. And, and I think uh, there's a lot of people out there who, who that is their goal and effort and, and I salute them big time. So I'm uh, just going to kind of bounce around to a few different subjects if you're okay with it. Uh, what, 
who are there's probably more, but who are the three biggest influences in your life? And in you can go in that any direction you want with that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, when you just talk about um, perhaps maybe being uh, being a man, being a, a godly man, um, number one would be my dad. Um, to me, he was. Um, you know, you say, you think as a kid, the perfect example um, of how I was supposed to behave. And um, and then as uh, being his son growing up and watching him work extremely hard, two and three jobs, uh, but always took Sunday for us. And um, so he's number one. Um, as far as uh, being a coach, I would have to say uh, there's, there's a lot of people, but, uh, you know, Mr. Drain was highly influential in, in my decision to become a coach because he coached us um, and I saw the influence he had on our group and I saw that's a way that I could make a difference. And of course I love sports. Um, and then, um, you know, just uh, I'd say, this walk in life, uh, my two brothers, uh, Dave and Mark, um, you know, they are both uh, working with uh, youth and both um, happy family men. Um, and so besides that, uh, they're just two great friends. And, um, you know, we get in this uh, – a decision every family has to make is how big you're going to have your family. And I know a lot of people are very, very concerned these days, especially um, about having a large family because it's so expensive. And um, I just, you know, treasure my, my large family. We have five kids that's considered large these days. And, um, and our decision to have, we have four kids, um, my wife and I agreed that the relationships you have with your your family um, are are relationships you can't really get outside of family. I mean, you can, but um, it's so convenient and nice to have uh, people you grew up with and know you inside and out to be such great friends. And so um, I guess that would be in those areas of life. Those would be my my top three, four influences no that's that's great uh, i think a lot of people who know those people uh would would completely agree with you um, i know mark is doing tremendous work with the high school and especially the football program dave is doing great work as a as a pastor and uh, he's he's somebody that i have always had tremendous respect for for, for some of the work he's done and, and your father is just the the nicest <laughs> the nicest man i know i just called you that a little while ago, but he's, he's wonderful. So uh, those are great. Those are great people. And uh, that's, that's good to hear Todd. Uh, football, basketball. Yeah, I do. Uh, oh, go ahead. Do want to comment that your podcast uh, with Sam, you know, you guys have a special connection that I just heard, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I re I recognize. Um, so that was cool. Yeah, no, it's, there's nothing like sibling. I only had one. You had, you had four, two boys, two girls. So uh, you definitely had, some experience, but Sam and I have, have grown closer and 
look forward to having him back again. Um, I was just going to say football, basketball, baseball. Those are kind of the sports you've grown up with, uh, coached in, been a part of. And you and I always have this debate, I guess, like, which is your, which is, it's hard to pick one. I know, but what is your favorite sport? I mean, you, you, at times I think it's basketball. Other times I think it's baseball. I think baseball, maybe you caught love with later, but what is, you got three sports there to choose from. What, what are your thoughts on each one? And like, what, where do you value each one? I think whenever we had those discussions, we always came to the conclusion that it just thought it depends on the time of year and, and yeah, the, yeah. what we're, what we're into at that moment. They're all so great and they all have uh, different characteristics. I mean, football, you can't beat the uh, brotherhood as far as being in the trenches, you know, it's the closest thing to being in the armed services. I think where there's a whole, whole physical aspect of it that the other two sports don't have uh basketball was always the one for me growing up because i figured if i couldn't outrun or out shove or out um you know strengthen somebody i could out hustle them and that's that's the sport to me that um i was able to succeed at the most because i had the mentality uh, that I did that um, if there's a loose ball, I'm going to get it. And that's going to be my value to the team. Um, and then baseball, you know, uh, it's one of the things is it has grown on me a lot. And, um, you know, as we got into it, starting in your seventh grade year, um, you know, we had a couple guys that, uh, you know, were really into it and I didn't want to lose them to bigger high schools or bigger program so I said we're gonna go we're gonna tackle this baseball thing and we joined a travel league and got our heads kicked in but um so much (laughs) I remember (laughs) because uh you know there is so much uh going on in the game uh intellectually and mentally that is so valuable um to people if they're looking for it um we we both agree uh, in the small ball aspect of things. And uh, we learned a lot about that part of the game. And it's something we both believed in and built our program on. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of the, the same mentality of, um, you know, we may not be the biggest, strongest, fastest, but we're going to find a way to win. And I think in baseball, um, you really can – you don't have to be the greatest athlete or the best athlete, but you can be the best player through sheer work and um, commitment. So the answer to your question, it comes back to basketball. I just, um, you know, it's just, uh, I've always loved that since um, I started playing the game for real rather than just, you know, walking down and shooting the ball when you're five, six or seven, but about middle school, um, you know, the other sports I was behind physically in football and baseball with all the other guys, but basketball, I could actually get some playing time on the school team. Um, so, uh, just fell in love with it then. And I find I can, I can still at 47 years old, um, go out and play with college athletes and, and hold my own. Um, so, um, couldn't do that in football for sure. Yeah, some of my best memories are us driving home and seeing a park, and you know, in my twenties, and you were in your thirties, uh, and hey, hey, let's go play, let's go play. We play basketball, and uh, it's just randomly 
go go play some hoops. That, that was always fun. Uh, talking about baseball and how we both kind of later in life found it to be a little more intriguing. One of the best experiences of my life is hopefully one that you uh, feel the same way on. But I graduated college and we had had, we, we had developed this great friendship and we'd always talked about going to the college world series just to go, just to have a trip, not have anyone to root for, just go in, in, in Omaha, Nebraska. And cause we kind of started to enjoy college baseball more and more. And now it's ironic that I'm, that I'm working in it. But when I graduated college, my good friend Todd here, he, made it possible for us to go to Omaha in 2008 in June for the college world series. And we were there. I want to say a week and a half and it was just two buddies watching college baseball, watching two games a day usually. And it was the year that Fresno state won the national championship. We saw every game except the, the three game championship series. Cause we had to get back, but Todd, it was a tremendous gift from from you and my my mother assisted you with a few things also uh and then unfortunately uh man a month later is when is when we lost her she passed away but that summer of 2008 will always stick out to me for a couple of reasons uh one negative one but but one extremely fun one so what was that like uh going to omaha just getting away and getting to, especially to go to Rosenblatt Stadium, which you no longer play in. Uh, yeah, I mean, I work with your mom on that a lot. To to get off. Hang on, Todd. We're kind of losing you a little bit. Are you moving? On. Okay, there you go. With our programs, um, but I was able to get get manipulate the schedule, schedule get give the uh, athletes some time off, which I'm sure they enjoyed. Um, but uh, you know, it's just like how many I think of how many of my friends had had I chosen another friend to go back there. Would they have valued it? Would they have enjoyed it? And uh, there's not a lot of people who who get um, at least in my circle who who get how special that place is and who could sit there and watch, you know, eight hours of baseball a day. Um, but the story that's my favorite is, uh, you know, you used to walk around and just while you were walking, you were given sick baseball signals and, you know, people <laughs> would see you and they look at you and they go, what, what's he doing? And I just go, Oh, don't worry about it. It's all right. Um, <laughs> He's a weird but one. We were, you know, we were walking in Omaha going to lunch or whatever, and you were doing that. And some guy, as he's walking by us, yells out, fake bunt steal. And we're just like, oh, no, <laughs> yes. There's more people <laughs> like us. This is funny. It's just that um, the, the specialness about our relationship is that we get each other in that manner and we get each other um, in the love, the love we have uh, for baseball sports in general. But um, at that time it was baseball. And um, so, yeah, it's just, that was special because uh, we both 
you know, got each other. And uh, to take a week and a half and uh, just go do that, something I'd never really done before as far as just taking a week off and, and going doing something fun. Um, it was perhaps like a perfect trip with the exception of the first time when we arrived, we drove, I don't know, two hours in the wrong direction. <laughs> I was going to just say that we landed, it was raining in, in Omaha and uh, we, we looked at a map, we started driving and uh, yeah, it took us probably two hours. We, we were staying in Iowa about an hour away and we were like, really, we should be there by now. We turned around, we looked and we were like, Oh, we went the wrong direction. What a great start to the trip in the middle of the night. But, but it gave us a chance to talk and have a good conversation. And uh, yeah, I just, I, I would trade that chip trip for the world. It was a blast. It was something I, I think to every, every summer when I see the college world series on television and uh, just something that was so, so fun. And uh, the, the worst part of the trip I think was that, we probably each gained at least 10 pounds with all the eating we were doing. I mean, the ballpark food, just, uh, you know, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and just, oh, man. Yeah, it, that definitely took some time to uh, to work off. But great food. I remember, remember the ice cream and the, everything was great oh, yeah. out there. And I was fortunate to take a group oh. back, back there. Rosenblatt um, was gone, but uh, I took a baseball team back there a couple summers later. Um, because it was such a special time and, uh, they had a blast too. So, uh, good times. Yeah. Yeah. I drove by the stadium a couple summers ago when I was out there, um, in Omaha to pick someone up at an airport when we were working out in Lincoln for some baseball and yeah, just seeing the statue, I was like, man, this is, this is, and I couldn't believe it's been, uh, we'll see, what is that? 12 years now coming up 13 years. Mm-hmm. Well, 12 years, uh, time flies, but. Um, I want to ask you about, uh, one individual who has since left us, but he, he was somebody that you and I both got a chance to sit in, in his classroom, listen to him speak. He had a tremendous effect on mental, the mental side of sports with so many different athletes. And that is Dr. Ken Revisa, who was a world renowned sports psychologist and I remember you sitting in on his classes before I was a student of his. And then, and then I, when I was in college, I got to sit in on his class and it was my favorite class that I've ever taken. I got to see him around. He worked with so many different baseball teams and everything, but what was, what was his impact on you? And I remember you and you introduced me about, uh, about him and I was so glad you did, but what can you tell me about Dr. Ken Revisa? Uh, well, I was at a, um, the big annual baseball clinic with, with uh, all the college coaches and high school coaches in the country. Um, I believe it was Chicago. And, um, you know, this guy got up and, and spoke and, uh, you know, it just blew my mind. Again, it was, it was an area uh, of athletics that was kind of new frontier for me. And I think uh, for a lot of the sports world, with sports psychology, there, there wasn't much, you know, at least at my college, there was no sports psychology classes or, um, you know, the field was just not too much, uh, wasn't very popular. Um, but what he said blew me away. And he, he talked about how he worked at Cal state Fullerton and taught there. And so 
after his speech, again, there's about 3,000 coaches there, I went into uh, the breakout session where you can forgo the next uh, presenter and just ask questions to the, the presenter that just uh, was on stage. And in that room, there's about, probably about 100 coaches. So got to listen to him some more, ask questions. And, uh, and then I just went up to him and I said, you know, I live in Southern California, close to Cal State Fullerton. And he's like, oh, you got to come sit in my class. And I was like, well, I'm not actually a student there. And he goes, it doesn't matter. Just come. And so I was like, (laughs) awesome. So I went and took his class, um, unbeknownst to any administration at Cal State Fullerton, and was a student um, for his class and just audited the class. And um, he was very generous that way with his time and with any of his uh, resources, information. And um, so the whole sports psychology world, um, you know, I think some of his terminology has um, spread throughout other aspects of society. Um, the idea of controlling the controllables, I'll hear that, um, you know, in, in various business um, business discussions and, and things like that. Um, a lot of people now are, are using that phrase when we're um, – sitting at home is like, well, what can you control? You can't control this virus. You can't control, um, you know, being at home, not being able to go out, but what can you control? And that concept, um, you know, he introduced along with, uh, you know, the term next pitch, you know, focus on the next pitch. You can do nothing about the past, um, but uh, getting over, um negative or obstacles or getting through things where you focus on the task at hand was another big one um, that I really like to develop. um, And it's a big part of, of the teams I coach is uh, because I think it's a big part of life, you know, um, controlling the controllable, you know, Um, you know, you can't control um, this, you know, your, whoever your boss is and maybe they have a hard um, situation relationship wise, but what can you control? You can control how you respond to that person. If they disrespect you, you don't have to disrespect them. Um, You know, and you could go on and on about, uh, about that whole concept. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, at that time, I remember just trying to tell anybody and everybody about him because, uh, not only would it help athletes in sports, but it, it really helps them become mature adults as well. So um, that was my experience. And I think you and I went attended another clinic when he spoke. And um, we went up to him after the, his presentation. And he was so gracious. Um, he said he remembered us. I don't know if he did, but uh, that's the kind of guy he was. <laughs> Yeah, he was he was so much energy and he worked with athletes in the Olympics, uh, all kinds of all, all kinds of baseball and baseball athletes as well. And uh, he was someone you and I really connected with. And so that's why I wanted to kind of bring him up. Uh, truly missed a wonderful impact on on many different people. Um, with you being up in Northern California, you've been up there a few years now, right? You, you want to tell me a little bit more about your job up there since a lot of people who listen to this are Rio Hondo Prep alums and 
and they, uh, I'm sure, are curious uh, what you're doing up there, uh, where you're coaching at, and what some of your responsibilities are up, up in Weed. Yeah, well, um, it's a lot like what I was doing. I didn't know there was a school smaller than Rio Hondo Prep, but uh, <laughs> California used to be a, um, a mill town. And when uh, the mills started closing, uh, it's kind of become a sleepy tourist town. So anyways, we have 30 students at our school, and I teach social studies and PE. And um, I'm the athletic director, which has been a blast. I really like that role. And I've um, because it is hard to get coaches, um, I didn't necessarily plan to coach every sport like I did at Rio, but it's kind of worked out that way. Um, I help with the football team, a head coach in boys basketball, which has always been a dream of mine. And then, um, head baseball coach, you know, we didn't have enough for a team last year. Uh, so we started the season and then, uh, you know, grades came out and we lost some players. So, uh, <laughs> I hate when that happens <laughs> this year, we had a good group, uh, no baseball experience. Only one guy had played before. Uh, but we're having a blast uh, just out there at practice and uh, getting ready for our season. And then this happens, so we, we're not going to be able to play. Um, but last summer I did bring four of them down to Southern California to Rio Hondo, and they graciously hosted us. And we were able to mix with them and play a couple games and go to the Dodger Angel game and, and so forth, That trying to build some excitement around baseball. And sure enough, um, this year we had 12 kids come out and uh, out of the 30 – um, again, excellent. No baseball experience, but uh, it's good as a matter of fact in practice because uh, you're all at the same level, and so um, no bad habits. Yeah. And so, yeah. <laughs> um, so that, that's a challenge. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens uh, next year and the year after because um, it all depends on how many students come. Our district is. This is Sioux County Union High School District, and it's uh, open enrollment, so kids can come from other um, towns. You know, they can come from Mount Shasta or Weed to come to our school if they want. Uh, but the middle school in our town only has three eighth graders, and um, two of them are, are reportedly going to Mount Shasta. Um, so with our losing our senior class and gaining, you know, perhaps one um, – <laughs> We might not have enough for uh, football or baseball or whatever, but we'll see. Yeah, definitely some different challenges for you out there. It's uh, maybe not quite as similar as real Hondo prep, but uh, that's that's uh, great stuff to hear, Todd. I'm glad things are working out for you up there um, in Northern California, almost Oregon practically. So uh, it is April now. I, I talked on April 1st about the April Fool's joke you pulled on me and an assistant coach. And I'm still waiting. Uh, that I've still not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's been years. It's been uh, – the pot's been been brewing a little bit, and, and one day it's coming. I don't know if it'll – I want it to be on April 1st, but that, your, your guard's probably up for the full day every year. So uh, I, I don't know if I can pull it off on that day, but – you know, it, it, it may, it'll come soon. It'll definitely come soon. And, and I remember you laughing so hard. I was not laughing, <laughs> uh, but that was truly a, a good little trick. I don't know how you came up. And with I that. think we had it recorded. We had Richard Bearcat. Hi, yes. Yeah. Hi. Yep. 
Yeah, and that made me even more uh, uh, <laughs> joy, joyful, uh, upset. But yeah, to see the video and the, it really brought the kids together uh, to pull one over on uh, um, old Coach Matt and and Coach Renzo. Uh, before we 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 finish up, I want to talk about officiate. We talk about sports on this podcast a lot. It, I'm, I'm going to bring on more guests with just different backgrounds and try to really get some some better flow than just me rambling my thoughts. But there's a time for that too. Uh, what has I, I moved into officiating right, and I went into the minor leagues and baseball and all these different things. Hello, Todd. Hey, so I heard you uh, starting <laughs> to ask about officiating. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. We got cut off, so uh, for listeners out there, we're going to add this segment in, and uh, sorry for the technical difficulties, but here we are. We're almost done anyway, but uh, no, I just wanted to ask you about officiating. I I, tra- I moved into officiating, uh, kicked around in the minor leagues a couple of years, and now we're college baseball primarily, but you've officiated at youth games. You spent a year as a football official in the high school unit. You deal with officials all the time. What are your thoughts in general just on uh, officiating uh, officials as people and just how, you know, what, what's out there, uh, what can be improved upon and maybe just, just general thoughts on, on officiating and umpiring. Uh, well, growing up uh, being a, a true fan, you know, you always think officials are out to get you and that I know to be not true. Um, and that's uh you know, that's basically my main philosophy. As I coach now, you know, uh, in our gym, the fans are right on top of you. And they're always, they always come up after the game. And they say, man, that, that ref just, just seemed like they're against us. And, um, but that's not true. You know, they may have made calls against us that maybe they were even wrong. But uh, I know these people, I've worked with them and I've talked to them. And especially up here, there's only a few and, and you get to know them really well, really quick. Um, they're good people. They're doing their best. And, um, you know, so I start a game with that mentality. And I try to teach that to my assistant coaches and, and my players is they're not out to get you. And if you think they are, um, that's just going to, it's going to fulfill it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like, you're going to, it's going to, it's going to look that way no matter what. Um, and then, you know, back to Ken Revisa, it's, it's about, um, you know, what can you control? And uh, I know, especially in youth, when you, when you work in the youth leagues, the officials can be manipulated. And, um, but I never, I decided I didn't want to be that way as a coach. Um, so I just kind of leave them alone. And um, I try to let them know that, hey, we're trying to all make this a great experience for the kids and the fans. And, um so, you know, um, and then just from a coaching strategy standpoint, if, you know, I've been convinced if you're, if you're spending time trying to uh, manipulate the officials are worried about them, you're not doing your job really, which is trying to um, help the players be their best they can be out there. You know, you're getting distracted from what the real issue is, uh, or what the real priority is right then. So, um you know, I've always, um, because I have been an official and have for a little bit, um, I know their side of it. I spent a lot of time with them, like I said. And um, basically, I mean, I do 
um, I will challenge an official and, um, but I always try to do it, you know, man to man, not a big demonstration, uh, to let everybody know. And, um, you know, I felt that's been a good strategy. If I treat them respectfully and we have a disagreement and then, you know, I feel like I've been really successful, uh, when there has been a legitimate issue where they could reverse a call, uh, of getting that call reversed. Whereas, my initial MO when I first started coaching was just to yell, yell at him, yell at him. That was a bad call, you know, this or that. And that backfired more times than I can say. So, um, yeah, it's just that basic philosophy that I really believe um, they're out there doing their best. And um, as far as improvement in the officiating realm, I just think, you know, it's about competition. So if you don't, if you're going to get games, um, no matter how good or bad you are, um, then that's going to necessarily result in you doing a poor job, uh, a poorer job than if, um, you know, your job's on the line. And so I coached D seven basketball in Northern California. So, um, you know, the officials there, like I said, there's a few of them and they're there for, for the same reason, I'm at division seven, you know, we, um, we are not, um, higher level coaches or higher level officials. And that's probably where we belong. Um, but the, there are really good ones out there, but there are a lot of them who, if they just had some, some accountability would be better off. Yeah, sure. And, 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 and there's such a demand for officials. So it's not like that. That's the issue. Supply and demand you need these people, you need uh, a certain number of them. So you're not going to be able to, to compensate. I talk, I talk with high school official assigners all the time and it's about, Hey, I need to cover this many games. Uh, We only have this many guys. So if you sign up and you, you pay your dues, you go to class, you do everything you're supposed to do. You're going to get games. Maybe not uh, the best games, high level games. So that's an issue. There's a, an officiating crisis across the country uh, when, when we were playing sports, um, there's a bigger crisis going on right now with the virus and everything, but it's just, I, I, I'm glad you're somebody that understands that, that they are people that, that they are a, they're needed. They should be respected and they're far from perfect, but it's, uh, it's, it's what we have. So we, we live in this world where everyone wants everything to be perfect. Oh, this things didn't go my way. You know what? That's just not life. So officiating, it is what it is. I think you're, you're, if, if you could talk to more of, uh, coaches out there for us, that would be wonderful. There's a few more guys out there like you, but, but they are uh, few and far between. So uh, thank you for those words. What else, Todd? Anything you want to talk about or ask uh, on, on the other side of the microphone here? Oh, well, I mean, just thinking back to officiating, um, I remember getting you guys – uh, doing it like Friday would be our club meeting day. And then we'd go have uh, officiating practice <laughs> right. where we would just ball and we'd choose two guys to be the officials. And um, I think that's good, good leadership training. And so um, I've always tried to uh, make that a part of my program as well is, uh, you know, you got to learn how to handle criticism. You got to learn how to, um, stick with your guns. You got to learn how to um, turn the other cheek. And so those are just good. Um, if, if I'm 
you know, mentoring a guy about becoming a leader of any sort, I'd say be an official for a while. <laughs> you you learn how to uh, how to really um, develop an important skill of being a leader, and that is, you know, if half the people agree with you, you're doing a really good job. So. <laughs> That's usually the only amount of people that agree with you is is, is half every right. every whistle every call someone's uh, someone's mad so uh, that's that uh, definitely a challenge so well Todd we'll wrap it up here uh, I really appreciate you coming on I appreciate you listening that's kind of the what we're doing right now is just bringing on a lot of different people try to get this thing moving um, I, I you're far away you're probably our furthest away listener as far as I know. Uh, I wish you and your family well with this whole quarantine issue we have going on. Uh, I really appreciate all you've done for me over the years. It's it's always fun to chat with you, and this was a an opportunity for us to do so in an interview form format. But we'll get back to some uh, some emails and some lunches when you get down here to to Southern California as well. So thank you for being here. Um, I'll give you one final thought before we uh, we wrap it up. Uh, yeah, well, just, uh, you know, I'm really thankful, um, for your friendship and I value it so much and, uh, say hi to Val. I I heard that podcast, uh, yesterday and, uh, sounds like a great gal and I'm so happy for you and her. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. She, uh, she, she puts up with me well and, uh, I appreciate the, uh, the support and, uh, and, and everything. So we'll talk to you soon. We'll have you back. I know you're a busy man with four kids and the, and then the high school to go with, but we're proud of you and thanks for everything uh, you do. And, and we'll talk to you and have you back as a guest real soon. All right. Hey, keep up the good work. I'm really, uh, I really think you found a niche here. <laughs> Thanks. We're, we're going to work in progress. We're going to try to get better. And uh, next pitch, my friend. All right. All right, guys, thanks for listening to this episode. Went a little longer, but I knew it would. Uh, sorry for the technical difficulties. We will try our best to, uh, put piece those two episodes together or into one episode. So everyone stay safe out there, whether you're out in the town or you're around at third base, get home safe.